0: Hey guys, welcome back to the pre-production podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I am sitting today with one of my favorite contemporary filmmakers. His name is David F. Sandberg, director of Lights Out, Annabelle Creation, Shazam, and the upcoming Shazam 2. And I'm very excited to see that because I've liked all three of your movies. It's been a trifecta of awesome, a trilogy of really great stuff. And uh, I also just think you're like a humble guy and you're one of the very few people that I've briefly talked to in Hollywood that is like a normal person. So (laughs) it's really nice. Very happy to hear that. That's, that's what I
1: strive for in life to be a normal person.
0: (laughs) Where did David F. Sandberg
1: discover his love of movies? It was very, very early. Like I know, I know the first movie I ever saw, but I don't remember it. It was the Black Cauldron, the Disney movie. My mom's told me that, but uh, no, but my, my dad got a video camera when I was just like, five, four, five years old, which I still remember. Um, And I, you know, when you're a kid, like there's no difference between like TVs or movies. Everything is just like magic, you know, and it it, it was for me. And I started at a very early age, like make shooting little things on my dad's video camera. But like the the earliest things don't even survive because, you know, then you start like taping over things, unfortunately. So, but I have, so I think the earliest movies I have is from when I was, nine maybe or something like that yeah i can't remember a, a moment where i didn't
0: want to make movies that's incredible to, to to never feel like you weren't a filmmaker that's really cool
1: yeah i don't know if i felt like a filmmaker but it's like something i always wanted to do and like <laughs> I, I found one of the uh, or a friend of mine had one of those old books i don't know if you had them in the u.s you probably did like my friends' book that you had got to got all your friends to fill in, like what they yeah, what they want to do when they grow up and all that stuff. And I saw that I mind said that I wanted to be a trick filmer, that I wanted to film, like I think it was sort of visual effects, <laughs> like, like the, the Swedish word for like you know, trick filming is like yeah, doing visual effects and stuff like that, which I <laughs> thought was very interesting. Uh, that I, at a very early age,
0: that's amazing. So, you wanted to be a magician.
1: Kind of because it was kind of like a, it was kind of like a magic trick, both live action and animation. I remember my mom sort of telling me how animation worked by using my like Skeletor act, action figure, like and showing like, yeah. And so you take one picture and then they move, you know, the, the leg a little bit and take another picture. And I remember trying to figure out. I was watching the Muppet Show, you know, <laughs> because, and I, you know, I didn't know about editing or multicam or anything like that. So I was like how are they doing this? Because I remember there was like a musical number and like the, the dog Muppet Rolf or whatever his name is, it was like playing the piano and they were cutting to like different angles. And I was like, how are they doing that? Like, d- does he like stop playing and then they move to the other place and then they have to go like now and then everyone just starts playing again. Like I didn't understand <laughs> how, how you could edit because to me it was just like, you can press record on the camera you can stop it. And then like you just shoot it all in sequence um, because that's how how those first movies were made. There was like we didn't have, you know, like two VCRs or any of that kind of stuff. You just had to edit in camera, you know. Of
0: course. Yeah. When I look back on like the earliest short film that I have saved that I made, I think I was like 14. You can you can hear me begin to say the word okay, like right yeah. before every cut, <laughs> like, you know, and yeah, you were definitely you were cutting by pressing on and off.
1: Yeah, I had like this one short that I, I've saved as well. Where so you have to like hand your camera over to your friend when they're shooting you and everything. And he was shooting a thing, and then he pulls the camera back to me, and he wasn't supposed to. I'm just standing there looking at him, and then like the movie continues. <laughs> I was so mad at him. Like you were supposed to cut, not go back to me, and like. Oh, That's great. Uh,
0: so you were on? You were doing VHS camcorder?
1: Yeah, it was uh, the VHS C, the the like tiny half hour VHS right. cassettes. Yeah. Which is also why it sort of, you know, taped over a lot of the early stuff, because we only had a few of of those tapes.
0: Do you ever get the occasional frame or two of the older movies hidden underneath? Yeah,
1: like between (laughs) movies.
0: Yeah, that's great. So you're like
1: 9, 10, 11-ish? Yeah, that's when it really started. I think at at like nine. And then, I mean, you know, I was born in 81. So... It was a very long time when that's all it was, just filming on VHS and not being able to edit or anything. And even just learning about films was, you know, you had to go to the library (laughs) and check out books. But I remember there was this show called Movie Magic. Uh, I think that's what it was called. Because it was a U.S. show that they brought to Sweden, and then they cut it together with Swedish behind-the-scenes stuff as well, like showing how movies are made. I think that was in the 90s, early 90s. Uh, just explaining like matte paintings or, uh, you know, uh, animatronics and all these things. And I just loved it. I taped all those episodes and watched over and over because it was just such a, so hard to find out, yeah, how movies are made. Um, and then eventually, you know, we <laughs> had a laser disc player in the 90s. And then you could actually find movies with commentary tracks or behind the scenes stuff that you could watch. My favorite movie growing up and still is one of my all time favorite is Raiders of the Lost Ark. But the way I saw it, you know, is we had it was a VHS tape where it was uh, taped off of a TV channel or something. But it was such a bad reception or recording or something, so you actually saw it was almost like a you know seventy five percent Raiders of the Lost Ark, twenty five percent a different show on TV, <laughs> you know, like sort of superimposed, and that's that's how I saw that movie, and it's still blew me away like it still worked like on a shitty vhs tape with that quality and that's for years that's how i saw that movie
0: that's incredible i did the same thing with last crusade i had a, a tape of it recorded off of the usa network and i had a vcr that allowed me to like stop and re- press record and whenever a commercial started so i would try to be there like with the commercials right when they started holding the remote and i would press stop and and then I would record instantly again when the movie started, so I could later watch the movie without commercials.
1: <laughs> I mean, kids today don't know how good they have it. I mean, it's the all was, just there. Just like adding credits to a movie, I had to type it out or draw it on a piece of paper and f- shoot yeah. the paper. You know, like and these days, with you can make a whole movie on your phone and add all the you can add visual effects and text and everything.
0: That was the very first thing that I ever edited was a. Um, A credit sequence because uh, the school that I was going to at the time gave every student like a very early Mac and it had iMovie on it, like one of the Mm -hmm. very, maybe the very first iMovie version 1.0. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, the first thing I did was I was like, I'm going to make an opening credit sequence, and I'm going to import some music that I don't have the license to, and I'm going to like yeah. just make it match in Times New Roman font. Discovering editing for me was, was, was iMovie. You were doing it in camera for a long time, though. I only did it in camera for about a year.
1: No, it wasn't until my... I think I was like 20, 21 or something until I actually... You know I was able to get a little bit of money to shoot uh, to get a mini DV camera uh, and then by that point we had a computer at home so I could buy a firewire card and all of a sudden you could edit like or and use after effects and like it, it just you could do so much and you know it's all digital so the quality didn't you know it wasn't like fifth generation VHS uh, but yeah that, that wasn't until my 20s. But that, that sort of opened up like, oh, now we can start doing real shorts and got really a bit ambitious. Uh, one of the like early horror shorts, we did it in 2002, 2003. I even did Dolby Digital sound and everything. <laughs> like with oh my the, God. I found like a, a cracked copy of, I don't even remember what it was called. Now. It was some sort of software where you could actually do Dolby Digital and stuff like that, mix it in that.
0: Those first few times that you discover those tools, for me, when that happened, I began to realize that there was so much more than just aim the camera and point it there. I can look back. I have almost all of them saved on like a series of DVDs hmm. and you can kind of watch me like evolve into starting to figure things out. Right. And like like an hour into the first DVD, you start to see like intent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not just like put the camera there and like dance in front of it, which quite literally happens a few times. <laughs> So you're there. You're you're starting in your twenties to to sort of figure out stories. Did you ever write them, or did you go through a period yeah. where you just kind of improvised, or kind of said, "Do this and do that"? Uh, a lot of it was improvised for quite a while.
1: Yeah, because even that horror movie was like we had a basic idea, but then we just went out into the woods with like and improvised a lot of it on the spot, and you can tell because <laughs> it's like the dialogue is mostly swears because that's what you fill out dialogue with when you have nothing to say yeah even doing like lights out short and stuff like that i never wrote anything down it was just like especially when you're making a short you can keep it all in your head you know like what it is you want to do
0: like especially with the lights out short which is like a largely conceptual sort of like idea of like communicating a a sort of scare that could happen i feel like It's fun to just sometimes do it. Like, I I think that there is this period where you go through writing a script and and formatting it properly and trying to make it as as best as you can and impress everyone. But there is, you lose some sort of raw power when you and your wife can just go do it really quick because you have this immediate idea and you know you can make it look good. Yeah. It's obviously a necessity to have like the best written script that you can for your film especially when you're making a feature. But like on the conceptual level, on the proof of concept level, there is something really fun about kind of just winging it. And I know that's a a weird thing to say, but my wife and I did that exact thing with our fourth annual Halloween special. We just kind of went out into the woods and made this found footage thing that eventually became the seed for Shelby Oaks, And it was, we didn't have any crew or a script. We just kind of had this idea. We were in the car for six hours on the way to Tennessee and we just talked about it the whole time and then we shot it. There's something fun about just doing it sometimes.
1: Yeah, and uh, the the things that I wrote was when I was doing animation, which I did early on. Uh, But then I sort of almost used the screenplay format in a different way. Like I used like scene numbers, but I used them as shot numbers because I needed to, every shot to be planned out so that's where the real planning was happening
0: when did you start learning screenplay format was it something where you thought okay I got I have I got to learn how to write this for real
1: it was more that I was just curious about what do how are movies written what do the screenplays look like so you try to find them online which early on was quite hard to find because I would find a lot of that were more like transcripts rather than the actual screenplays and stuff like that. Um, but then later on, yeah, I started finding some, you know, certain sites online that actually had real scripts. You could see years later, I found out about the blacklist. You know, the annual, um, the best unproduced script in Holly scripts in Hollywood, and you could find certain places online that the, the were all those scripts would be. So it's like, okay, I can see what Hollywood responds to, you know, what what, or what Hollywood scripts are supposed to look
0: like. Everyone's different. But I think a lot of filmmakers early on, you you don't really think about how much it actually takes to break into the industry. You're just sort of like, this is what I want to do and it's fun and I like it and I know how to do this and I enjoy this. You're not thinking like, man, I'm gonna have to go through three thousand meetings before anyone says yes to anything I ever want. You know, it's you're not like thinking about all of that stuff. And you though, you you were pointing your compass in the right direction though. You were looking at like, what is what are people responding to? Which a lot of people don't do. You know, I, I
1: grew up in Sweden, so which is very far from Hollywood. So I mean, the most immediate thing for me was like the Swedish film business, which isn't very big and doesn't do a ton of always interesting movies, <laughs> a lot of detective movies and lame <laughs> comedies and stuff. In the early 2000s, when I had my DV camera and started being able to edit, I started to submitting to the local film festival, which was a very small one in, in Jönköping, Sweden. Um, and through that, one of the people who organized it had he ran like the local film center. In Sweden you get like grants to make movies and stuff like that. It's all government funded. So they have these film centers all around, you know, like you uh, have film Stockholm or Film in the West and stuff like that. And the smallest one of them all was in, in my hometown. And it was just this one guy named Svante and I was like okay so he's sort of working with film because he, he was uh, helping out with the film festival and everything so after a couple of years of submitting shorts to this f- festival I was unemployed I had nothing to do <laughs> you know couldn't find work so I went to him and I said could I be your intern um, and I was like sure Through that, he got me to do some documentary work, help him out with that, shoot some things, and I kept doing short films uh, with friends. And then we were going to do another horror movie, but this time in the (laughs) middle of winter in Sweden. Uh, So we went out there, we had like a basic idea, the same thing we had done before, But it was so cold and it was so miserable. So I think we got one shot and we were like, oh, let's go home. I can't can't do this anymore. (laughs) So I I got home, but I was like still, I felt like I still had this creative urge. I want to create something, you know. So instead I did like a little animated short. It's barely animated. It's more like a slideshow uh, about this guy who sort of, He's trying to pitch a, a children's show to an executive, but everything he pitches is like horribly offensive. And, and you know, it's like a little just comedy sketch kind of thing. It's sort of a commenting on like the difference between censorship in Sweden and the US, where it's like, US is like, you can get all the violence you want. It's all fine, but no nudity. And Sweden is kind of the, the opposite, opposite way. Right. This was in 2005. YouTube was quite new.
0: That's was, the first year. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 2000 or maybe it was early 2006, but it it just started. So I, I had created an account, but I didn't know like, Oh, what am I going to do with this? I don't want to use my real name. Cause I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. So I, that's why I just made up pony smasher. Cause it's like just random words, but I uploaded that little short and I, for some reason people found it and started getting all these views and people were, were loving it. This is cool. Uh, so I was like let's I'm gonna make another short but get a little bit more ambitious and actually animate it and and you know do a proper thing and then submit it to the film festival so I did that short and because the first one had all these swears and offensive things uh, I was like well that's what people want (laughs) so I I made another (laughs) one called All Quiet Now which basically is it's you know it's a nice little story about not listening to your uh, like inner voices. It's about a guy and a girl going through a to a party and they're like they their inner voices are telling them how much they suck and like everything's bad and everything but then and then it works out in the end. And that one just blew up online. It was in Swedish, so it's like it became big in like in like Scandinavia. And all of a sudden like I had I made my first viral movie. I started getting like offers to like hey, we want to make a little Commercial or like a little online video to sell. It's like one uh, company was uh like mail order condoms. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> sure, I'll do that. I mean, that's fun. Hell yeah! I, yeah, let's go. <laughs> um No, so I started getting like little jobs like that and was actually able to start my own co- or like register as a company. It was just me. Uh, but to be able to actually charge people for it and be able to like, okay, I'm starting to make money doing animation. And at the same time, I was still working with Svante at the local film center. I was doing that for a few years, actually. Um, But then it was like, well, I want to, what I want to do is live action, you know, especially genre movies. Like that's what I've always wanted. Uh, I just happened to end up in animation and documentaries, but I learned a lot from it. Um, in, in different ways.
0: I think you have a massive leg up on the average filmmaker that you have such an animation knowledge and, and VFX and, and all that. It's The average filmmaker has to ask someone else, like, how do I do that? You can look at it and go, well, I, I'm pretty sure we have to do it this way.
1: Yeah, and the documentary part as well where you sort of, you go into it and you have to find a story, you know, like you just come into something like trying to figure out like,
0: okay, what's a puzzle. It's a massive amount of puzzle pieces and you had to figure out how to assemble it Yeah,
1: and you have to improvise and things. That's how lights out came to, to be because I'd, I'd done like a lot of little tests, like VFX tests and things, learning like 3d learning these things. So they were like just short six second clips and things like that. Just trying out one thing. And I had this idea like, oh, you could do like a, a phone, like an early, the iPhone that can sort of see something else through the camera, like it sees the future. And I was like, how, how would you shoot that? And then I was like, well, instead of just doing it as a VFX test, let's do like a two minute short. Um, so Lotta and I did Camp Closer, which was our first short that we did together. The story with Lotta and me was that we grew up in the same town. We dated when we were uh, 11, because we were classmates. I Uh, did
0: not know that, that's awesome. Yeah, no, and uh, we dated That is like the sweetest, most adorable thing.
1: (laughs) We dated for six months when we were 11, which is like a big relationship at that point. Uh, Then of course it, it ended, and we didn't really see each other for like 14 years. But then she, when my animated short went viral, she saw it online and contacted me and we, Got back together. So, uh, yeah, I've had a lot of luck with viral <laughs> videos on YouTube leading to big life changes. YouTube does do some good things for people. It's not yeah. a complete cesspool. No. Uh, no, so, so we did that little Cam Closer short, and I was like, can I upload it to YouTube? Because people are expecting animation now, and I have like a Swedish following. Um, but I uploaded that, and um, people really liked it and that's why we wanted to make more. When I was doing all this animation and stuff, I, um, was, I got contacted by this Swedish guy who was wanted, wanted to be a producer and do like uh, animated documentaries uh, So I, I, that I started to work with him for a bit because he was able to get money from the Swedish Film Institute. And uh, I remember one of the little animated documentaries I did got into a film festival in San Jose here in the US. So he was like, Oh, Swedish Film Institute are giving us some money so we can actually go to that film festival. And he was like, Well, wh- while we're there, why don't we pitch a movie in Hollywood? <laughs> I'm like, Oh boy. Are, are you insane? <laughs> like, what are you th- Are we just going to show up outside of a movie studio and be like, Hey, w- we have an idea? But he was like, Well, actually, my brother works at Fox in Sweden. So he knows people. And he can probably get us into Fox. And I was like, okay. "Okay. This might be real or like we might have a shot." But I was like, "Well, if I'm going to pitch a movie, I want to know everything about it. And if I if I know everything about it, I I'm, I'm going to have to write it." So I I spent like a couple of weeks writing like my first English language like horror movie screenplay. Forget what it's called what, what even what it was called now, but it was about like people living in walls and that, that sort of things. No, so we we went, he, we went came here, it was my first time in LA. This was in 2013. And when we were here, he also found some Swedish producer who actually got us in to also pitch at uh, Sony at stage six. So that was my first time ever at like, you know, walking onto the Fox lot. It's like, holy shit. We're, we're it must like- It must've been surreal. Yeah. Uh, like seeing all those, they they have those murals of like Star Wars and Simpsons and all that stuff. And it's like, we're actually here. And and you know, so we got to, to pitch to the guy at Fox, you know, he, there was no interest there really. He was just like being polite. And, but I, I realized when he was asking, you know, what, what I had done, because it's like, yeah, I, I want to make this horror movie. What have you done? Yeah. I've made animated comedies and documentaries. And it's like, damn it. This does not sound good. So that's why... You're not in the
0: box yet. You got to be in the box they want you to be in.
1: Yeah. The guy at Sony, he, he was sort of less polite. He just came in like concept, cast, cost was the first thing he said. Well, he just walked <laughs> in and I was like, uh, what? Concept, oh, cast, God. cost. That's what he wanted to know. What wh- What's it about? Who's going to be in it? What's it going to cost us? You know? And I was like, uh, you know, I, I figured like, I don't know what a movie costs. That's, that's your job. You know, you're the movie yeah. guy. Uh, but yeah, so there was no like, response from that. But at, when I came home, it was like, shit, I need to like do more live action to, to be able to show that, no, this, look, I can do this, you know? So that, that was part of how that first short that Lotta and I did came to be. And since we got good response from it, we were like, let's do another one. And we saw, I was following these guys called Bloody Cuts in England. Uh, who were doing horror movies and they had a uh, competition for the whole world of like do a an under three minute horror short and you can win all these prizes and stuff and I was like oh well great we just made a two and a half minute or two minute one, let's just make another one. First, I got all too big in my ideas. I was like, oh, we're going to have this moth lady and I'll do this CGI moths and things. And I started down that path before going like, we're never going to finish in time. There's a deadline here <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this is not going to be good. Eventually it was just like, let's just do something simple. And, uh, I came up with, you know, playing around with the lights at home. And I was like, Hmm. You know, maybe there's something there with the lights going on and off. That's a simple idea, you know, and just that in bed trying to, you know, avoid getting killed. So we shot that in like an, a night after she had gotten off work, cut it together and did like little VFX and watching it. It was like, well, this feels pretty good, it feels pretty effective, you know? So we sent it into the competition. I actually won the, the best director. Like the, the movie itself didn't make like the top submissions, but I won best director. So I was like, Great. That's awesome.
0: And well-deserved, too, because, you know, I saw that short in a very organic way. It wasn't, like, after the live-action feature was announced. Right. You know, it, it it was, like, shared by my friends, like, on Facebook. When it was, you know, becoming viral, I just watched it. And um, what it does so well, and I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times, but I'll join the choir, it builds tension before having this massive scare and it also looks very good like way more professional than at the time what was the average you know two to three minute facebook short that i would watch or that someone would share with me right i thought it was really cool and i started sharing it with people i was one of the people just well thank you to perpetuate it you know <laughs> i mean it was great it was great and i was so happy when i found out that the actual person who made it would get to direct the film they weren't just farming it out to somebody else
1: that's why you want to own your own stuff or like create your own stuff. Cause you're in a very good position because I could say that like, if you want to do a movie, I want to direct it. Yeah. It, it went viral. vent went really big, really fast. And that was very strange. Cause you know, I was just, I was on Reddit, scrolling Reddit, and I saw someone had put a link to our shorts like, Oh, so I was like, let's go look at the views. And it was like 17,000 views. I was like, "Oh shit, that's a lot," you know. And then I was refreshing, and it, now it all—it was seventy thousand views. I was like, "Wait, what's happening?" And my phone just started blowing up, like getting all these notifications and stuff. Um, so that was crazy. And you know, because I started getting emails from all these people. At first, it was people who were like working in the business, They're like got an email from someone who was like doing special effects and worked on like, you know, pirates of the Caribbean and all these movies like, Oh, Hey, loved your short would love to work together. Well, yeah, I would too, but it's like, I have zero money. <laughs> you know, I live in Sweden. <laughs> You're going to fly like, me out. Yeah, You're going to put w-
0: me up somewhere. Yeah.
1: What are you talking like that? Okay. Um, but then I started getting emails from actually producers and studios and managers and agents. Because I I actually told Lotta, you know, like I've heard of people getting representation in Hollywood, like getting a manager or something through shorts. The morning after I said that was the first email from a management company. I showed her like,
0: look, (laughs) that must have been really cool, but also terrifying.
1: Yeah. And it was very sort of confusing as well, because I didn't really know, like, what is even the difference between a manager and an agent,
0: you know? And there's also predatorial managers out there who just, you know, they're, they're not going to do anything for you, but they see what you can do for them and they try to snatch you up.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I didn't know who these people were, which is why I got an IMDb Pro account so I could see like, okay, this guy represents these like actual actors or, or whatever, um, just to find out who people are
0: that's a very smart thing you did um, IMDB pro is a really good tip and if, if you're listening you should that's that's a good way to find out it costs a little bit of money but then you can see everyone they represent even get contact information for their agency it's 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 really helpful
1: yeah and it, but it was also I didn't know because I was very fortunate in that several different companies uh, came to me so I, I like had to choose which is yeah it's a great position to be in but at the same time it's like okay do I if I go with the big one, you know, one of the bigger ones, does that mean they won't have time for me? You know, and, and if I go with a, a small like manager or something, then yeah, he'll have all the time in the world for me. But can he actually make stuff happen? You know, and it was just very confusing as well because they were sending me scripts before I had you know signed with anyone. But what are they doing here? Like, are they saying that I could direct this? Like that that doesn't make sense. Uh, it was very confusing because I read them all and I read one script I was like well this is really cool I I could see myself doing this and they were like oh cool that writer is actually going to direct that one himself why are they sending me these scripts so is it all about like just showing the material they have like this is the kind of material quality material we have it was very confusing I chose a manager uh, at Gotham Group Uh, and as soon as I had a manager, or it's actually a couple of manage, managers, then it was like, we'll take care of everything. Like we'll, we'll, we'll follow up with everyone. We'll do this. And it's was like, oh, thank you. And you know, they will, will help you find, you know, what's the right agent for you and everything. And I was like, holy shit, I have people like working for me. This, this is awesome. It's um, great. And they were you know telling me like, yeah, we'll be the bad guys. You know, if you want to turn someone down or whatever, we'll do it for you. Like, you don't have to worry about it. And it's like, oh, this is
0: great that is honestly my favorite thing the the like because i I've seen your video on being an introverted director and and yeah. i'm I'm similar and i I don't enjoy confrontation. I don't enjoy um letting people down. I try not to do that and and I've had many opportunities where my manager who's also at Gotham group um has been like, "I'll take care of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very nice <laughs> yeah no it, it's great. Uh, but they but they were also
1: like you know can you get out here to la you know we want to set you up with all these meetings and i was like i have zero money (laughs) like i can't afford a a plane trip to to the u.s in the beginning it was just a lot of skype calls or phone calls with people because there were like producers and, and people interested in either doing Lights Out or doing something else with me. One of the producers I got in touch with was Lawrence Gray, who ended up producing Lights Out. And he was great. He was very like much on it, like, well, this is how we make the movie, blah, 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 blah. I've always seen myself as, uh, I want to be a writer-director. But when this happened, I was like, I can't ask to, direct, to write it as well. Because I'm a first-time director and a first-time writer. Like, I don't want to push my luck here. So, I was talking to different writers. And at first, I, I talked to one who uh, had a very <laughs> a much bigger idea, where it's like several creatures. It took place in Las Vegas. And I was like, I don't think this is right. I mean, partly just because no one's going to let me, a first-time director, use, have that kind of budget. And I want to make sure that I can direct this. So I was talking to my manager about it, how it wasn't really working for me. And he was asking, like, but what would you do? Like, what would your story be? I was like, okay. And so I sat down and, and wrote sort of a treatment for what would become Lights Out. So this first writer, he wasn't as interested in that treatment. He felt that it was a little similar to Babadook or that had just come out. I hadn't seen yet, and I don't think it's that similar. But uh, it's
0: a constant fear uh, amongst people in Hollywood. I've noticed as well, it's kind of like this or it's kind of like that or we don't want to make a serial killer movie. I'm like, that's not a serial killer movie. What are you fucking talking about? No, it seems like a serial killer movie. Just bullshit like that constantly.
1: Yeah. But I had found the producer, Lawrence Gray, who wanted to do it. And he was like, yeah, this treatment is great. And he was talking about getting a writer. Uh, and he was like, uh, yeah, I have this guy, Eric Heiser. And the thing was, since I read all the Blacklist stuff, I had read stuff by him on there. And I was like, yeah, he's yes, <laughs> let's do it. Uh, and he wanted to do it. To sell it, we need a big horror name to be a producer on it and he was saying like it either James Wan or Guillermo del Toro they're, they're the the ones you know at the time who, who can sell a movie um, and uh, yeah he, he went out to James Wan and James Wan wanted to do it like this all happened during the course of a year or so so that's absolutely crazy i know i mean but at this time it was like a lot of waiting i mean it's not a lot of waiting in hollywood measures but f- back in sweden it was like is this real, is this actually gonna ha- turn into something or is it all just bullshit?
0: I can imagine that you were probably just pacing around your, your house and just wondering, you know, will someone take me out of this? Is this gonna be something that I can do?
1: Yeah, so Lotana and I, we kept making shorts. So a lot of people have sort of looked at our, our shorts, they think sort of that we made all of those and then Hollywood called, but no, we'd only made two <laughs> when Hollywood called. So then we spent that year like, well, let's just keep making movies because we don't know what's going to happen. And like, let's not just sit and wait. My plan had always been to like, we'll make shorts and then maybe we can get some money from the Swedish Film Institute to make a bigger short. Maybe we can develop that into like a Swedish feature. And, you know, like maybe years down the line, maybe we'll be able to do something in Hollywood. But (laughs) yeah, we got to skip um, all of that.
0: That's great because like the thing that I've most learned so far from talking to you is that you never just kind of rested. No, no. Even when you had opportunities presented to you, you wisely adopted the mindset that that opportunity might not be real. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. That's what a lot of people don't do. A lot of people get that first email, that first contact, and they think, I'm in. I I did it. And and they kind of just uh, get lazy, and you and you you didn't.
1: Yeah, because it also you know it can go away at any time. Like you can be, you know, I know movies that were like, oh, we're a week away from shooting, and you know the the star pulled out, and now there's no movie anymore. Like anything can happen. Um, but yeah, it was a year of just back and forth with producer and like manager and agent. And they were like, well, it's, we, we have to start making a deal. So you need a a lawyer. And it's like, oh shit, (laughs) I have a whole team here. Um, (laughs) uh, yeah, no, it was going back and forth and like the movie went viral in March. I think it was pretty early in the year. And then by November they were like, well, we need you out here to meet people. Or to like, because it seems like things are moving forward with the movie, but I still had no money. So then the producer actually paid for me and Lotta to come out to, to LA uh, so we could have, you know, meet with James Wan. And James Wan were, was like, oh, the, we, we should do this with New Line, you know, because he had done conjuring and things with them. So we met with New Line and since I was here, that's when I got to go on the the water bottle tour, you know, when you get to have all these general meetings around town and, you know, they they offer you a bottle of water. Yeah, I know. So it's a lot of meetings. It's just like, oh, so what do you want to do? And they tell them about, oh, here we do this. And these are the kinds of things we do. And everyone is just like, oh, we're we're very filmmaker friendly here. You know, (laughs) like we're we're different from everyone else. Like here, (laughs) here, it's all about sort of what the filmmaker wants. Like, okay, that's what everyone says. That was fun and very strange. Uh, it was like a couple of weeks we were here, and it was just like you know I got a call from my my a, my agency, and they were like, "Do you uh, Hayden Christensen wants to meet you?" I was like, "What? What? What, what do you mean?" So <laughs> I, I I had like a uh, lunch or brunch with Hayden Christensen. He was very no nice. No shit. Yeah. No, no that, shit. I didn't know that. Yeah, but it was also like what is going on here? Then, I mean, Uh I found found out later, like, what happens is like, oh, you know, he's at the same agency, so the agent is like, oh, these two should meet. So it wasn't like Hayden Christensen was like, oh, shit, David Sandberg's in town? Get me a meeting, you know? (laughs) It it, it was just... The Swedish auteur of the Lights Out short is here? Exactly. I mean, that guy, Hey, I don't think he had any idea who the fuck I was. He was just like, you know, our agents were
0: like, Hey, why don't you have lunch together?
1: It's like uh, okay.
0: That's a funny side of Hollywood that I haven't really experienced yet. O- only in only in a minimal state uh, has um, my my manager said you know things along those lines of Hey, I just picked up the, this guy's you know on my rolodex now. You guys should you guys should zoom or something. And then we zoom and we're like, Hey, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. It's nice to talk to you. Yeah, <laughs> it's like these like blind dates or something. Where yeah, <laughs> like yeah, maybe they'll hit it off
1: and they'll do a project together. Um. Yeah. No. So we were here for two weeks. Then we went back. That was in November. And then in March, the year after we got the call, like, oh, the, the movie's happening. You need to come over here. So it's like, oh, shit. But then we found out like, oh, you know, you need a visa. <laughs> so we had to get a bunch of help with get a visa as quickly as possible. Had to go to Stockholm to the US embassy there and uh, all of that. But then we we got here in March. And it was also a thing of like, well, where are we going to stay? And I was like, well, I mean, movies are made all the time with people from all over the world. So I guess they'll have a place for us or something. But so they set us up on a hotel for the first week or so. Uh, But then it was like, oh, you need to find some place to stay. And it was like, oh, okay. So we had to find, like, an Airbnb. We found, like, a half a garage in Burbank that had been turned into, like, a little apartment. You know, had a little uh, hot plate (laughs) and a shower and things like that. Um,
0: Basically a hostel. Yeah.
1: No, so we we moved in there and lived there for, like, five months as we actually started making this movie. But the thing was, as well, and and here's where, sort of, we got so lucky. Well, I mean, not here. The, The whole thing was very, very lucky. But... I think that, you know, for us, we came here with no money, so we borrowed as much money we could from parents and relatives or or whatever, so we could pay for uh, just being here, you know, uh, living here. The movie was moving along, but the thing about green lighting is what I don't think people know is that, you know, you read in the script, like, oh, the studio's already greenlit a sequel for this and that movie. It's not truly greenlit until you're like shooting the movie. They'll be like, "Oh yeah, we want to make this movie," and they they'll start spending money. They'll start like hiring people, like a concept artist, and we have a line producer, and you get a little office and everything. All that can happen before the movie is greenlit, and before the movie is greenlit, you're not getting paid as, or I wasn't getting paid as a director, which was troublesome because it's like we were running out of money fast so i had to like i had to borrow money from my manager and then i had to borrow money from the producer of the movie and it was this feeling like if this movie doesn't happen now we're in some deep shit here you know you're, Uh, you're in
0: debt and you're in america and
1: you don't have any way home no so that was kind of terrifying and that's the thing where i'm sure there are a thousand stories that are just like mine and Lotta's, where they get to this point, and then it falls apart, you know? And then you're, you're screwed. Like, we were very lucky in that the movie actually
0: went on to happen, but it was, that, yeah, that's dangerous. Your bank account's dry. You're in an, a, a country you're not born in, yeah. you know? Very fish-out-of-water scenario. You're being thrust into the, the upper echelon of, of studio Filmmaking immediately, yeah. you're talking to people like James Wan, you're meeting Anakin Skywalker, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and you're still thinking, I, I I, think I'll go home anytime. I don't know if this movie will happen. Like that's, it's very inspiring that you stuck it out and that you stayed for that whole period and and got to that point where the film was, was happening because a lot of people probably would have would have been like, and, and kind of not dealt with that pressure, especially as you've spoken often about, you know dealing with with sort of like having to interact with human beings all the time and and sort of being a leader and and you you rose to the occasion
1: I mean to me it was just there's no choice like this is the the chance I've been waiting for because this happened so I directed my first movie when I was 34 you know so I've been waiting for a very long time and I I think you know when I was 16 if I'd known that oh yeah you're not going to be making movies until you're 34 is
0: that would have been like holy that's so far away you know i have said the exact same thing to myself sometimes it's crazy because um, i realized i wanted to make movies when i was 14 also directed my first feature at 34 yeah also started on youtube yeah. i wasn't born in sweden though yeah. you have the you have that right on. yeah but i mean you want to be
1: like spielberg
0: who like directing
1: yeah. when he's early 20s and like doing great things but there is
0: a sense of like the clock is ticking yeah i think for filmmakers uh for some reason i don't know why actors especially two actors really suffer from this this sense of like the the time is running out i got to do this now and there's some truth to it but honestly like especially with writer directors um you really you can make a movie at any given time. Like a, yeah. I think it, it was at Taika Waititi didn't even realize he wanted to make movies until his thirties. Like I mean, th- there's there's all kinds of rare examples like that. But and even even with actors,
1: you have like wasn't like Gene Hackman in like like forty or something before he started
0: to be in movies. So it's like it does happen. Yeah, Morgan Freeman has eternally been a grandfather, in my opinion. (laughs) So, like, ever since the 80s, he was like my cool grandpa on TV. But still, though, you were in a a mindset at that point where you were in a constant state of, like, I don't know if this will happen.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, it was so weird, like, you know, saying to the line producer, like, we have an office. Like, look at all these people here. Like, what do you mean we're not greenlit, you know? Yeah. But then, uh, yeah, we got greenlit and I, I started getting paid. That must've been a great feeling. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) what happened was, this is like when you're making studio movies, you know, they told me what I was going to make or like, you know, because, but you know, you get a certain percentage during pre-production, you get a certain percent during production, then some during post and you get like the last money when the movie's delivered. And like, they were telling me all these things and like going through the contract. It's like, okay, I'm trying to keep up. So so, what do I what do I will I get a week when we're making this movie? My calculations were like um, fourteen hundred dollars, and I was like, "Holy shit, fourteen hundred dollars a week! Like that's more money than I have ever made in my life, right?" I was I was like, "Oh, I can't wait to get that that first check," you know, and then finally, I was in the production office. Finally, like we've gotten green lit. Like here's your check, and I opened it up, and I was like fuck because the check said fourteen thousand dollars, so i was like oh they they messed it up so i called my manager and i said god damn it they they screwed up the check you know now i have to give it back and like it's it's gonna take longer for me to get the money now like i really need this money uh, and he's like well what's the check it's like it's 14 grand and he was like yeah that's right you get 14 grand a week and i was like are you fucking kidding me and I was, oh.
0: oh my god
1: and that's that that was um scale you know but when you're making a studio movie five million dollar movie dga and everything like that's that's scale
0: that's absolutely amazing yeah
1: it was crazy
0: i can't even imagine man i mean like yeah, the film that i that i wrapped this year was so indie and so like like swept under the rug kind of like everything was like just do it just get it done like will you work overtime today sure thank you so much all right let's get the shot you know like you know we we called grace a few times a week because we were like we needed the extra 12 minutes just to get the shots we were trying to do every day at the end of the day we were like we just fucking did it yeah so even hearing that that is an option Really, just like lit lit a fire in me for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: it's. uh, I mean, it was also because uh, the the schedule was very compressed, so it wasn't a lot of weeks or whatever. So, sure. uh, But it was way more money than I ever made in my life, and it was just like it's insane.
0: You clearly busted your ass to to do this since you were like a child. I mean, like that's that's like the ultimate validation. Not only has your work been spread online in a very positive way but you're now making a movie with one of the most uh, influential contemporary horror filmmakers James Wan yeah uh, who's also given you his stamp of approval and now you you can go home to, to Lotta and say hey we can we can eat some steak tonight like you know yeah. this is going to be a nice dinner first thing I
1: did was I went and bought pants because <laughs> I, I had like <laughs> I had two or three pants and they'd, like, they'd, uh,
0: uh, what do you call it? It's like, split. In the, oh, the yeah. Split. Area.
1: So it's like, ah, uh, damn it.
0: I was just thinking that you were going to all these meetings butt ass naked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Time to finally get pants. Oh, my God. Thank you guys for dealing with this this whole time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's great. No, and it, it enables us to sort of start life over here, you know, because we we just came here with our our suitcases and you know have have built it up from
0: there how many days did you have to shoot lights out how many did they give you
1: 25 i think
0: 25 yeah yeah i think we went to 26 or something like that did you feel constrained by that at all i mean obviously this being your first time sort of doing it on this schedule
1: i had no idea you know i was talking to the first ad and he was like you know showing me schedules and like does this look good it's like i have no idea i have no idea what you know a professional film set is like like if I'm making a short at home it's me and Lotta then this is way more time than I need but like I don't know the speed on a film set I'll I'll just have to find out so so that yeah I'm sure the schedule is great you know what happens if you don't get what you're supposed to get in a day I I figured that well then it's not in the movie I guess you know and then you know later on I found out that no you know you can you know you can get more time or like if we don't get this thing today you can do it another day or like you can work some things out or you can even go to the studio and ask for an extra day um, but it was very very stressful just like finding out how long it takes to light and get a set ready it's like all this time like it's taking forever then i'm then i'm getting like five minutes to shoot <laughs> you know like it's yeah 40 minutes to light and five minutes to shoot like this isn't fair you know
0: was this one of your first experiences where somebody says okay we're going to flip the world and you realize how long you you take just to shoot an end of a room and then okay now you make sure you get everything on this fucking end of the room because we aren't going to relight this corner again so when we turn it around you better make sure you've got everything like did you have those moments of realizing just how long it takes to set up shots yeah
1: Yeah, it It was very frustrating. Like, you got a lot of really anxious from that. You know, like, why are they taking so long? Can't we just light it faster? Can't we just move things faster? Like, I want to get all these things that I want to get in the movie. I want to get it right, you know?
0: You were going through, like, an adjustment of workflow from going from, like, I'm going to film a two-minute short with my wife, and we're going to do something cool at home, and we'll make it look good, and it'll be fun. Maybe we'll do it in, like, a night. And then you're in a Hollywood set, and you're taking a whole day to, to do like one moment. You know, like and you're yeah. just like everyone's there to get this thing right. And in my experience when I went through that, I also had to bite my tongue a lot. And and we had an amazing gaffer uh, on our film who I'm so glad we worked with him and he was so meticulous though. He was just as meticulous as I was. So he was really like trying to make sure the lighting was perfect and we'd have the stand in sitting there. And, and I'd look at the monitor and be like, this is fucking good, dude. Can we please go? <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, 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 I got to see what it's doing to her hair there. And I'm like, Oh God, let's yeah. just go. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> No, it, it's very frustrating. And, and to me as well, there was a bit of a clash with some people. I got a really good crew because there like people work with James on certain things, like on like Fast Seven and things like that. I think they sort of did it as a favor or something or or whatever, uh, or th- that they wanted to work more with James. So for example, like the, there was a camera operator that I just did not get along with because uh, I like I mean here's a guy who's done like you know X Men and like all, all these giant movies, and now he has to do a little you know, $5 million horror movie with a first time director who's never been on a film set. When I really had enough was like, when we were going to shoot one of those scenes where, you know, Diana, the creature goes in and out. I mean, the way you shoot it, or the way I did in short, you put the camera in one spot and you take her in and then you take her out and, you know, shoot it like that. But he was like, so we shot it with her and then I was like, okay, let's get the clean plate, you know, the shot without her in it. And he was like, well, we already got it. Like, what, what are you talking about? Well, when, when we were shooting that other, uh, that thing there, it's like, but the camera wasn't in the same, sp- like the camera was over here. Yeah, it was looking at a similar spot, but it wasn't, that's not a clean plate. And was like, I was just so tired of people not listening to me because there, there was a lot of that at the start. So I was just like, just put the camera here. Okay, now press record. Okay, now br- we bring her in and do this. Okay, thank you. Now you can go out. Now, now you can press off. Like I got, you know, just really angry or in my own way. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't get screamy or (laughs) anything like that.
0: Sure. Uh, But it it, it was frustrating. I don't know what it's like on a, on a a film set like that. That's, that's so like you said, these people who are there maybe for James, I think that was a fear of mine going in to Shelby was just that no one would, would respect me. Um, Did you feel that way at all? Like on day one going in, like I'm sort of, I have to fight to earn people's respect
1: yeah and I'm, I'm also you know my introverted nature and anything because i was like i don't want to mess this up i'm gonna plan everything you know so i'd done for the first day and for the first couple of days i had like this like an overhead chart of we put the camera here for this setup and the, the actor will walk like this and like done storyboards of like all the different setups i wanted to do and then when we started shooting, it was like the DP and the, the, the operator, and they were just like sort of doing their own thing. And I was just like, but, uh, uh, you know, standing there with my papers and like, uh. <laughs> So it took a little while for me to like, just be able to tell like, no, this is what I want. This is how we're going to shoot it. I don't want to put the camera there. I want the camera over here, you know.
0: On a studio project like this, did you have a lot of time to talk with the DP beforehand? Did you guys get to sit down a lot? Did they give you that moment or was it kind of just thrown in?
1: Yeah, no, no, we had time to to talk about it and do camera tests and things like that. And it was during the camera tests. That I realized that, ooh, I don't know wh- when you're supposed to say action, you know? <laughs> like, I, I'd seen all these, like, behind-the-scenes things, but I don't know. Like, I, I'd heard that you, you you they call out things like sound speed and things like that. Like, but, Settling! Yeah, but it's like, but when do I actually yell out action? Like, I don't want
0: to be an idiot and like yell it out early or something. I had the exact same fear, man. It was crazy. Yeah. I just told my AD to do it. I was like, fuck it, I don't have to say it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I asked the ADs, like, when am I supposed to, to say it? And he told me, you know, like, after the the camera operator has set, you know, like, or ready or whatever they say, like, that's that's when you go.
0: So you're into, you're into the first week, you said you had 25, 26 days. Was there ever a point during the shoot where you started to have those butterflies calm down a little bit and feel like you had hit a stride? Or did it pretty much maintain of like, oh my God, what am I doing the whole time?
1: I was miserable throughout the whole shoot. I was so depressed of like, (laughs) you know, because, you know, like you have one thing in in your head of both what the experience is gonna be like and and also what the movie is gonna be like. And none of them sort of matched with, the experience didn't match with (laughs) what was in my head. So uh, I was very, very depressed and like just exhausted as well, because you you work like fifteen hour days, you know, uh, which I'd never done before in my life either. So I just I was exhausted. and there was one moment uh, one day, you know, when I came home in the evening to the the garage in Burbank, where Lota was, and I just started crying, you know, it just I just I couldn't stop it, you know, because I was just so exhausted and depressed. So much pressure put in on myself and also just so many new things, you know, having to work with all these people and having to sort of fight to get what I want. And like, uh, it was just so much.
0: So the shoot was rough. It was very rough, you know. You can't tell when you watch the movie. And that's why I want to ask you about post. Yeah. I can imagine, I could be wrong, but I can imagine that in post when you're sitting in a room and you're looking at shots, of course, everyone has the initial what have I done? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I need to never do this again. You know, a moment that lasts for however long it lasts until you start to see things come together. And you're like, okay, that's like, that's not a terrible thing that I'm looking at, but was it easier for you in post to sit and kind of tinker?
1: Well, not at the start. So, <laughs> the, you know, when we were shooting the movie and you, you know, you have playback, you know, where you can look at what you just shot. I was like, well, this looks kind of cheesy and and kind of lame, you know. A lot, a lot of the the things we were doing, but I was like, it'll probably look different, you know. Later on, they have like, you know, the movie filter or something they put on where it sounds and looks great. I mean, that's that's what they do, right? When you're listening to it and it's just like the dialogue and it's all quite dead and 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 you know, it were just it just it, it looked kind of cheesy to me, you know? Mm-hmm. But I figured like, well, that's, yeah, that's all going to be different. And then when I, yeah, came into first day of post and looked at the the first cut of the movie, I was like, oh no, there is no Hollywood filter. It, it is what we <laughs> shot, you know? So that was very demoralizing. I was like, well, I fucked this up <laughs> because the movie's a piece of shit. Uh, but I was like there's some cool shots in there or like the little, little mom- moments so I was like I, they can probably cut together a cool trailer, but I I've, the movie uh, uh, is garbage, you know and I was feeling that way until we did our first like test screening. Because then I could sit in the audience and I heard their reactions, you know, like they were they were actually jumping and getting scared and they were laughing at the fun moments. I was like, oh, that sort of changed my outlook of the movie. It's like, okay, maybe it's not that bad.
0: Now at this point, had you gone through score and sound mix and stuff? Or was this like a rough cut they were watching? Yes. So,
1: I mean, that's the thing that you screen movies so early. So it was like, I mean, with, with a movie lights out, there's not a lot of visual effects. It still was a bit of a shock. Like, wait, we're going to screen this version, and the way you you screened that was actually just straight from the Avid, you know. So just like stereo sound, and just like not not mixed, and and it's like I, like I don't want to show that version to people, but that's um, that's how you do it. And, and that's even with movies like Shazam, you screen it so early and that's even more horrible because you don't have, it's so dependent on visual effects and you have barely no visual effects in it. And it, it's horrible showing people like that kind of movie. And you do get a lot of people writing in the their cards, you know, like the VFX suck or like, maybe I'll like <laughs> the movie better th- th- with VFX, you know, they're, they're honest with that. <laughs> so... But what also happened with that first test screening was it felt great. People were so into it. And then we got the cards back and the score wasn't great. Like it was fine. But I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense. I could hear how into the movie they were. What happened was that originally the movie was like five minutes longer. So after, you know, it ends with the camera, like leaving them at the house, they're sitting in an ambulance. Originally... It cut to like, oh, six months later, they're, they're now living in Rebecca's apartment, you know, with, with her brother and everything. Uh, they think everything's fine. But then Diana comes back one final time, but they have a trap for her to, like, kill her. And people hated that ending. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. It just ruined the movie for them. That's strange. We we just cut the movie five minutes sooner and we just put a, in a fade out when they were on the ambulance. Um and we did another test screening. The scores were like through the roof. People now love the movie. So like wow. that extra bit at the end ruined everything that came before. That's not, like how important an ending is.
0: I remember the first time I saw it and I saw it in a packed theater. Um, it was a screening that was press and public combined. Every seat filled. People were going nuts for that movie, man. I mean, like every scare... I could hear people like those nervous giggles like, oh God, it's about to happen. They're waiting for it, you know, and uh, people were into it. Like it played, it, it's one of the best like audience reactionary experiences I've ever had with a horror movie because I've had very negative ones where they're just, they're mocking the movie. They're talking about it. They're, they're not taking it seriously. According to IMDB, it was shot for about 4.9 million yeah. worldwide gross, 148 million dollars. Yeah. It's pretty goddamn successful. Yeah. <laughs> so now you've had the internet stamp of approval on your short films. You've had James Wan come in and, and say, yes, this is cool. You've, you've made a real movie. The critics gave it good reviews. People like it. Despite the rough shoot, it's like a happy ending, right?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. I mean, once I saw that people actually liked it in that early test screening, it's like, okay, this is... This is very nice now, you know? Uh, And then I I loved it. I loved going to the test screenings. And then we had, like, you know, yeah, a lot of preview screenings and press screenings because it's like, you know, it's not previous IP and it's not a big movie. So you had a lot of screenings to try to build, like, word of mouth and stuff. And I went to all of them because I just loved sitting there in the audience and just listening to reactions. They knew how it played and everything with test screenings and stuff. So they asked if I wanted to do uh, Annabelle Creation. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I just want to make movies all the time. Just, yeah, let's go.
0: Even still after all of this, did you still have that fear of like, this could go away? Of course. Yeah. I don't think that fear is ever going to go away. No,
1: (laughs) no, because, because even, even when I was doing Shazam, my thinking was like, well, you know, if this all, I might still get one more chance if I screw this up because this isn't a horror movie. So like, if this goes really bad, That it could just be like, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll stick to horror. That's what I know. And, you know, I can probably get one more shot in, you know.
0: I think that's a healthy mindset, though, despite how destructive it is to your mentality and your emotions. I think it's healthy to sort of be your number one critic constantly and and think like you're always second guessing yourself. You're never like drinking the Kool-Aid if someone says you're great and kind of keeps me in a place where like i don't assume that anything i do is good in fact i, I usually need like 20 people to tell me something's good before i'm like, oh i guess maybe it's not complete shit. and lot that and i've
1: always said as well like if this doesn't work out we can always make our little youtube shorts you know because i mean even uh, yeah because after uh, after lights out we, we did another short called closet space which is one of the most one of the ones i'm most happy with actually which because at that point I had finished the movie and everything and I was just like, it was so exhausting and so big. So it's just like, I could, couldn't wait to just do a little short again because it's so different. You, you're on your own time. You can do whatever the hell you want. And it's just very satisfying.
0: This has been so inspiring for me to listen to. You're someone I really look up to and admire and your journey towards getting a film made and, and continuing After Lights Out to make good films and also not letting it go to your head at all, as so many people do, is what I hope more people in Hollywood or around the world who are, who are making films can be like. And, and I think what the listeners should really take away is that despite how much of a cliche it is to say don't give up and it doesn't really say anything or mean anything, in every sense of the word, you never did. You Even when you had opportunities that were given to you, you still went home and made a short You never thought, okay, I'm I'm good. We're gonna do this. You were always be the best I can at this, make a short, learn about animation, learn about documentaries, become an intern, which obviously, you know, a lot of people don't want to do. They they kind of get very like, I can do whatever I want. I have good ideas. And and you, you went the opposite path. You you learned on the ground, you taught yourself filmmaking from an early age and you have made three and I have no doubt four as soon as Shazam 2 comes out, good movies. And and that's just really, really great, dude. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us about this.
1: Thank you. No, I I, I really think that the the key is that the two things you need is you need some talent. You know, you can't be (laughs) completely worthless. You need some talent and you need a lot of luck. And I think you can sort of improve both by just making more, like keep creating stuff. But because Doing more and more, you will learn more, so you will become more. You will increase your talent by, by just learning all the time. And doing more stuff will also increase your chances at, at getting lucky, and getting that chance to you know do something bigger. So I think that that's that's the key to just keep creating.
0: Well, you guys heard it from David F. Sandberg. Uh, Shazam 2 is coming out really soon, and you should see it. And you should also watch his other three movies, Shazam Lights Out and Annabelle Creation. And check out his Pony Smasher YouTube channel. He not only has really great shorts on there, but he occasionally makes really good videos on filmmaking. Uh, there's a really great one about problem solving that you should definitely watch. It's a great peek behind the curtain. Thank you so much, David, for joining us today. This was really great.
1: Thank you,